If you have your Bible, please, I'd like to turn to the book of Revelation and chapter 1. The book of Revelation and chapter 1. You'll remember uh, last week we spoke on the King of the Jews. I want to speak on the King of Glory in the book of Revelation chapter 1. I want to read verse 4, please. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and that made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And drop your eye up, please, to verse 12. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his foot, and girt about the pups with a golden girdle, his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like on the fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a, two, a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of death, of hell and death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. God bless. Well, bless the reading of his precious word. I think verse 4 of chapter 1 is one of the most encouraging verses in all of the scripture. Verse 4 of chapter 1. It's a charming verse. Did you read it properly? It says, Grace be unto you and peace from him. What a verse. You see, this book is primarily a book of judgment. And at this very moment, we can see the stage being set in Israel for the coming of the Lord. And by the way, for a generation that don't read their Bible, across the world, People have disparaged the Bible. We have even taken it out of our schools. Governments no longer use the Bible. Even in our councils, they no longer want to read the Bible before the council meeting begins. So we have, as a generation, dispensed with the Bible. So in a generation that is dispensed with the Bible, God speaks through the news. Every time you hear Israel mentioned on your news, 
God is speaking to the nations. And here we are. It's a book of judgment. And some people read the book of Revelation and are absolutely horrified, and so they should be, with many of the things that are going to come to pass. It shows the wrath of God, an offended God. It shows this great wrath of God falling upon these mighty wicked men. Can I say the wrath of God that has been bottled up since Calvary? The wrath of God that has been bottled up since Calvary is going to burst on this world one day in absolute fury. And godless men, godless men, will get what they deserve, the judgment of God. And yet the book reminds us of this. The book begins by reminding us of this, by reminding a little remnant of people who love the Lord. The book starts by reminding a little remnant of people who love the Lord. What does it say? Verse 4, grace be unto you. Not wrath, not judgment, not fear, not tribulation. Grace, unmerited love, and unmerited favor unto you who love the Lord. This book deals with carnage. This world deals with the this book deals with the battle of Armageddon. This book graphically speaks of bloodshed, of coming to earth of the Lord, of famines, of pestilence, of wars and conflicts like the world has never seen before. It talks of war in heaven, Armageddon on earth, thunders rolling, flashing lightning falling from the heavens, stars falling, plagues rising up out of the abyss, humans who, who the devil will directly control himself upon this earth in a coming day. And yet the book starts. Never mind all that background, the book starts by addressing you and I this morning. And it says, peace be unto you. For a little remnant of the Lord's people, like us here in Ballyhalbert this morning, how wonderful an encouragement. Grace be unto you and peace. What a wonderful, wonderful encouragement it is. Now there are some outstanding chapters in the Bible that speak about directly of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some special chapters that you'll know when I go over them here. You see, Isaiah 53 brings before us in a very wonderful way the sufferings of the Savior. Matthew chapter 17 on the transfiguration brings before us the splendors, the splendors of the Savior. Philippians chapter 2, you know that great, that great uh, chapter that the chorus is based on at the name of Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 brings before us the submission of the Savior. And Colossians chapter 2 brings before us the sovereignty of the Savior, the invisible God. And of course, Hebrews, Hebrews brings before us the superiority of the Savior. Hebrews chapter 1. 
However, in all the chapters of the Bible, none surpasses the portrait of Christ in the book of the Revelation, chapter 1. It's the supremacy of Christ that we look at here this morning. The climax, you listening? The climax of the Bible presentation of the Son of God is found in Revelation chapter 1. Now I want to preach on it in three ways. You remember these, they're simple to remember. This chapter gives us his titles. This chapter tells us of his task. This chapter speaks of his triumph. Now anybody could remember them. His titles, his task, and his triumph. You see, if you look at the chapter in verse 5, it says that he is the faithful and true witness. You know the first person to call the Lord Jesus a witness? Do you know who it was? The first person to call the Messiah a witness was Isaiah. And when the Lord came here himself, do you know what he said? He spoke of himself as a witness. A witness to the truth. For he was the truth. So he's the faithful witness. What about verse 5 again? He's the first begotten from the dead. What does that mean? The first begotten from the dead. What does it mean? Apostle Paul tells us. In first, sorry, in Colossians chapter 1. Do you know what that means? The first begotten from the dead. It means of all the people who have ever risen from the dead. Of all the people who have ever been resurrected from the dead. Christ ranks First, above them all, the first begotten of the dead. He's also called in this, did you notice it in the middle of the verse? The prince of the kings of the earth. Ah, he's the king all right. Daniel chapter 4 verse 37 tells us he's the king of heaven. Matthew chapter 2 verse 2 tells us he's the king of the Jews. John chapter 1 verse 49 tells us he's the king of Israel. 1 Timothy 7, 1 and 17 tells us he's the king of the ages. Psalm 24 tells us he's the king of glory. Psalm, Revelation 15 tells us he's the king of saints. Revelation 19 tells us he's the king of kings. And well might we sing with the hymn writer, Jesus my king most wonderful. He's king of kings and lord of lords. He's alpha and omega. And then verse 8 says this. I am alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come. Do you know how you explain that verse? Verse 8. Watch this. He created all things. John 1. He controls all things. Hebrews 13. And he will be the consummation of all things. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's recall his task. What was his task? Those are his titles. What was his task? Verse 5. Tells us it at the end of it. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Now I like verse 5 because if you study it properly, it seems to say him that loved us in the past. But it's actually the present tense. On the him that presently loves us. What 
did he do for us? Number one, you can remember these are simple. Number one, he loved us. Number two, he loosed us. Number three, he lifted us. You got them? That's just task. Number one, oh, how he loved us. Number two, he loosed us, set us free. Number three, he lifted us, makes us kings and priests unto God. The great work of salvation through the ages. Hallelujah. What a saviour. But then you'll see his triumph, his titles, his task, and his triumph. What is Christ doing now? Well, of course, we know he's our great high priest. Look at verse 12. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. You know what he's doing here? He's speaking comforting words. He's speaking comforting words to the people that he loves. Somehow in the meeting this morning, I could feel the nearness of the Lord. And somehow I felt ever before I get on my feet, that in this meeting this morning, he was speaking comforting words unto those that he loves. John says, when I saw him, when I saw him in his glory, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. What a different role he has to the ungodly. What a different role he has to the ungodly. You see, this world stripped him. This world stripped him naked. They stripped the master naked and they abused him. His holy body was abused at Calvary. So much so was his body abused. And by the way, on the 7th of October, the damage, the atrocities and the brutality done to the Jewish people in the kibitzes was so brutal and terrible that they can't even publish what they did to pregnant women. How brutal it was. Things haven't changed. They brutalized his body at Calvary. But here in Revelation is the unveiling of the king as the world will see him. And the Louis is our savior and the Louis is the high priest and the Louis will be our bridegroom. He stands here in Revelation as the judge of all the earth. He stands in judicial attire. What John saw on that day. See, John had stood at the cross. Remember he'd stood at the cross? He'd saw him languishing in agony and pain on the cross. But what he saw this day was totally different than the cross. He saw one who was an unemotional one. Say, what do you mean by that? When the Lord was here on earth, he wept with people. He wept over the city of Jerusalem. Look at verse 13. It says, with a... a Garment down to the foot and gird about the pops with a golden girdle. You know what that teaches you? A golden girdle? The golden girdle was over his heart. 
No more emotions. No more weeping from the king. He's girt about with a golden girdle. He stands as a judge here. In Revelation chapter 1, he's the unemotional one. Number, look at verse 14. He's the undeceivable one. His head and his hairs were white like wool and white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. He's the undeceivable one. On earth he wept, tears from his face. But now his eyes, his eyes are as flames of fire. His head and hers were white as snow. Do you know what that speaks of? When he stands before John, his head and his hers white as snow. It speaks of the blinding, the blinding purity of the king of kings. The blinding purity. And that blinding purity will terrify the guilty of this world. Verse 16. He's the on the terrible one. Did you read it? And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in its strength. His feet were as fine brass. What does that teach you? What does it mean when it says his feet are as fine brass? Nothing can stop him. Nothing can stop the onward march of Christ. The Bible tells us that the feet that he sees as fine brass, these same feet will stand soon, soon, shortly. These feet will stand upon the Mount of Olives. Nothing will stop him. Neither Arab nations, nor Hezbollah or Hamas, nothing will stop him. And he will make his enemies at his feet like a footstool. He's the unanswerable one. Look at verse 15, the unanswerable one. And his feet like on the fine brass as if they burned in the furnace. Watch this, the unanswerable one. And his voice is the sound of many waters. Do you know how that's interpreted? His voice is the sound of Niagara. That's not even enough. Niagara Falls. Do you ever stand beside it? It's deafening. Do you know what the verse really means? His voice is as the sound of many Niagara's. And you know what I'm going to tell you? His voice will drown out the voice of any protest. You will not hear the protests from the river to the sea. You won't hear it. That wicked, evil cry from the river to the sea, it won't be heard. Why? Because his voice of many waters protest and he's the unparable one look at verse 17 the unparalleled one and he laid his right hand upon me he's the seven stars in his hands what does that teach us it teaches us this what does that mean that says he's the seven stars in his hands it means it means that he is in complete control he holds everything in his hands he is in complete control of forces that are natural and he's in complete control of forces that are supernatural. 
He is the unconquerable one. We are told out of his mouth went the two-edged sword. What is, this, what is the two-edged sword? The sword is the word of God. And as the writer of the Hebrews says, piercing asunder of the soul and spirit. Did you ever read that verse? The word of God piercing asunder of the soul and spirit. No surgeon, no surgeon can do that with a scalpel. The piercing asunder of the soul and spirit, God can do it with his word. And Christ is here, he's the unapproachable one. Does it not say when he lived on earth? Remember when he lived on earth? Ah, you say, children came to him. We love the story of the little child he took upon his knee. Lepers, lepers came to him. Sick women came to him. All who could come came to him on earth. But oh, when he comes as a judge, he will have a scorching countenance. Saul of Tarsus, you'll remember, was blinded by the sight of him. So scorching was his countenance, Saul of Tarsus was blinded by the sight of him. And here even John, at the sight of him, falls at his feet as though he were dead. What a sight. And yet what comfort there is in verse 17 and 18. Read them. What comfort there is when you read them. And when I saw my fellow's feet is dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Oh, I love this. Fear not. Fear not. He laid his right hand upon me, saying, Fear not. Are you here this morning? And there's something that you're afraid of. The devil has been coming in at you and he's been niggling at you and you're afraid. Well, he lays his right hand upon you. And in comforting words he'll say, fear not. What comfort? Fear not. You know, Revelation as a book is sometimes it's said it's hard to understand. Can I show you the key to the book of the Revelation? I'll show you the key to the book of the Revelation. It's found in chapter 1. The key to the whole book is found in chapter 1. If you understand the key of chapter 1, you'll be able to understand the whole book. Look at verse 19. This is the key. John, the Lord says to John, Write these things which thou hast seen, and the things which are. And the things which shall be hereafter. The unveiling of the person of Christ. In chapter 1. In chapter 2. In chapter 3. God gives utterance to his purposes and grace. And in chapter 4. God gives unfolding the unfolding power of Christ in government. When the day will come, and it will come soon, when the Lord will come, you know what he's going to do? The Lord is going to step into international world affairs. What a day it will be. When the Lord steps into international world affairs, 
and exercises his sovereign power, what a day it will be. What a day it will be. The king is coming. In 1650, the year 1650, 100,000 men were delirious with delight. In a little town in Scotland, they stood at the harbor, 100,000 of them, to welcome back the banished king, Charles II. They gathered in this harbor, and they could see the boat coming in. They were gathering to welcome back the banished king, Charles II. On the shores of Glenfinnan, a hundred thousand voices were raised. A hundred thousand voices were raised with the chant, The king is coming. Could you imagine it? hundred thousand voices. The king is coming. The king is coming. They had raised a standard for Charles II. Didn't last very long. Because they were defeated. And Charles II couldn't get a boat quick enough back to France. Couldn't get it back quick enough. Cromwell's army. Cromwell, that godly man, Puritan man, Oliver Cromwell. His army whipped them. And the cries of the king is coming. The king was back in France. Back in France. Never to put his foot on British soil again. Why am I telling you that? Earthly monarchs fear and fall. King Charles at the moment is trying to what he calls make himself relevant to the people. The writing is on the wall for monarchies. Earthly monarchs, you watch what I'm saying? Earthly monarchs are on the way out. The king of kings is on his way in. Zechariah says this, remove the diadem. This is what he cries, Zechariah cries to the nations of the world. Here's what he cries. Remove the diadem. Zechariah cries. Take from them the crown. Take from them the crown. Take from them the crown, earthly monarchs. And then Zechariah says in 14 and 9, the Lord shall be king over all the earth. What comfort, what comfort there is in these scriptures. No matter what happens in Israel, no matter what happens in Russia, and you mark my words, when the Russians come down, and they will come down, Russia will, Russia will intervene and Russia will eventually come down and attack Israel. And when, when they do so, they will be 
Oh, better rain it as if they never existed. And I ran. I ran. Will be dealt with too. And the king will come. And he will reign in power and glory. There's an old chorus that says, And when he comes again to lead the conquering line, when he comes again to lead the conquering line, it will be glory then to say that he's a friend of mine. What else could you say this morning about this only? Hallelujah. What a Savior. The King is coming. And here's my last word. Before it all happens, if you're a young person and you're worried, before it all happens, the Lord will come to the earth. And he will take his waiting people home. And we will leave this, we will leave this earth. If he came now, our bodies would be transformed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And believe it or not, it wouldn't be too hard, I don't think. I could go through that roof. Not to ask George what the roof's like, but even if it was concrete, we rise, do we? We rise to be with the Lord. We'll not see tribulation. We'll not go through the tribulation. There'll be no tribulation for you and me. No. We'll be home with Christ while affairs on earth take place. He's coming. Are you ready? Are you ready? I'll, I'll end with how I started. In a generation throughout the world that won't read their Bibles, every time you see Israel on the news, God is speaking. Lord bless you.